Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Uh, this is so much better than being here in an empty sanctuary. I like this very much. We are a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We're very glad to see you all here. Those of you who are regulars and those of you who are new, welcome and welcome to you. Also, to those of you who are watching on the live stream, welcome to you as well. We hope at some point we will be at a place where you can all join us and feel safe unless you just feel like being all cozy in your house and watching it while sitting on the couch in your pajamas. That is fine, too. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in everyone. And so one of the ways that we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is by turning to the people around us and welcoming them here and by greeting one another in the comments if you have those on the platform in which you are watching. Join me as we light our chalice. This is a flame we hold, hold in, in our, our hearts, hearts as we strive for justice for, for everyone. everyone. This, this is, is the light we shine upon systems, systems of oppression until, until they, they are, are no more. more. This, this is, is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship this morning comes from Mother Teresa, a lifelong sharing. Love cannot remain by itself. It has no meaning. Love has to be put into action and that action is service. Whatever form you are, able or disabled, rich or poor, it is not how much we do, but how much love we put in the doing, a lifelong sharing of love with one another. This congregation wrote its own mission statement And we wrote it on the wall because we like to say it together every Sunday. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. That's what we're doing here. And then we have a moment for beloved community where we tell a truth about white supremacy culture so that we can know a little bit more about it. All of us, those who are people of color and those who identify as white, we all have white supremacy culture riding on our shoulders. Some of us just benefit from it a lot more than others. When lawmakers began drafting the GI Bill in 1944, some Southern Democrats feared that returning black veterans would use public sympathy for veterans to advocate against Jim Crow laws. To make sure the GI Bill largely benefited white people, the Southern Democrats drew on tactics they'd previously used to ensure that the New Deal helped as few black people as possible. During the drafting of the law, the chair of the House Veterans Committee, Mississippi Congressman John Rankin, played hardball and insisted that the program be administered by individual states instead of the federal government. And he got his way. He was known for his virulent racism. 
When the bill came to a committee vote, he stonewalled in an attempt attempt to gut another provision that entitled all veterans to $20 a week of unemployment compensation for a year. Rankin knew this would represent a significant gain for black Southerners, so he refused to cast a critical proxy vote in protests. Someone had given him their proxy, and he refused to cast it. um, The congressman who had left his proxy vote with Rankin got flown to Washington to break the deadlock and cast his own vote. Roosevelt signed the Servicemen's Readjustment Act into law on June 22, 1944. It ushered into law sweeping benefits for veterans, including college tuitions, low-cost home loans, and unemployment, which in the southern states did not apply to black veterans. They didn't say it didn't apply. They just lost their applications. And that is our moment for beloved community. This is a sound of one voice, one spirit, one voice, the sound of the sound of one voice this is the sound of one voice this is the sound of voices too the sound of me singing with you helping each other to make it through this is a sound of voices too. This is a sound of voices too. This is a sound of voices three. Singing together in harmony. Surrendering to the mystery. This is a sound of voices three. This is a sound of voices three. This is a sound of all of us. Singing with love and the will to trust. Leave the rest behind, we'll turn to sound of one
Good morning. We love our music here at First UU, and part of the reason is because each instrument makes lots of different notes, and all of the instruments have different sounds. That's what makes it interesting. In the same way, we all have different ideas and different ways of expressing those ideas, what we call having our own individual voices. And when we bring those together, it makes things interesting. And we can celebrate that and honor that by listening to others' voices, by recognizing that each voice is important. My voice is a trumpet, written by musician Jimmy Allen, illustrated by Kathy Ann Johnson. Some have a voice as tall as a tree, loud and proud, and sways in the breeze. Some have a voice as small as a bee, soft and sweet, like kisses of honey. Some have a voice that's patient and wise, with lessons of life told through sparkling eyes. Some have a voice sunny and bright, a voice that can echo and light up the night. There's a voice that is silent, but still can be heard with hands that move to speak every word. Then there's a voice that roars like a lion, a big voice that tells you, always keep trying. We all have voices, voices to hear. My voice is a trumpet, strong and clear. My voice will be loud when I'm not sure I know to wonder, to learn, and to ask as I go. I will learn to speak up, to show I am strong, to stand for what's right, and to know what feels wrong. My voice is a rainbow after the storm, loving, comforting, safe, and warm. I'll use my voice to find joy in others, reminding us all we're sisters and brothers and siblings. I'll say no to hate by using this voice and always choose love, a magical choice. Voices are powerful and together they're strong, like the musical notes of a beautiful song. How will you use your voice? Meditation reading by W.E.B. Du Bois. The prayer of our soul is a petition for persistence, not for that one good deed or single thought, but deed on deed, 
thought on thought, until day calling unto day shall make a life worth living. time in our service when we join together in an attitude of prayer and meditation where we can speak or listen to God as we understand God or where we can just listen to our inner wisdom as it speaks to us. We can also just follow our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. So as we enter into the wise silence together, I want you to know that you are invited to get up and light a candle of joy or sorrow, hope or remembrance anytime from now until the end of the service, just so we don't all go up there at the same time for safety's sake. But let us enter into what Ralph Waldo Emerson called the wise silence altogether. In the silence as well as in the hustle and bustle of daily life, may we find compassion. May we feel ourselves held in the arms of love. May it be so. So I watch a lot of news, mainly um, MSNBC, if I have to tell the truth, which I do. And so I understand that most of y'all watch a lot of news, too. So while I'm talking about the democratic process this morning, I'm not going to wax on and on about the threats to democracy that are happening in our country and in our world today, because you all know all about that. I do not want to be MSNBC in the pulpit. We do not need that. So what I'm going to tell you about is the threat to the mo- threat to democracy that I pose myself. It's embarrassing. But the first thing that came to mind as I considered talking about the democratic process was how very much I want to strangle Joe Manchin and Chris- Kirsten Cinema. <laughs> I'm not proud of that, but I just wanted them to hush, hush, get out of the way. And having to negotiate them with them was just messy and painful. Not that I was doing the negotiating except in my head. But people with more patience and experience than I were doing the negotiating, and it was painful to watch, and still is. So this is the fifth sermon in the series on our Unitarian Universalist principles. So we're talking about the fifth principle, which is we affirm and promote the right of conscience and the democratic process in our congregation and in society at large. And I always think when I'm thinking abstractly of the democratic process, I always think of it as a very good process. But if it can make a kind of a gentle and nonviolent person such as myself want to strangulate somebody. It may be true what Churchill said, that democracy is the very worst form of government there is next to all the other ones that have been tried. (laughs) 
And the problem with democracy is that it takes this perfect storm of fairness, an educated electorate, uh, an engaged electorate, strong, unbiased courts, no gerrymandering, a communitarian sentiment. And the good news is that it's worked pretty well without much of any of those for 200 years. I mean, when have we had those things? And so many people want democracy to work as long as it works to give them what they want. And we want to shake the people who are standing in our way. This is not the best impulse in a person, the one that just says, oh, just hush and knuckle under to what I want. That's not how democracy goes. As Abraham Lincoln wrote, as I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. This expresses my idea of democracy. Whatever differs from this to the extent of the difference is no democracy. Those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves and cannot long retain it. Why should there not be a patient confidence in the ultimate justice of the people? Is there any better or equal hope in the world? Our country was founded by people who had a patient confidence in the ultimate justice of the people. As long as those people were white men who owned property. They had a patient confidence that people like themselves would make good decisions. And when it came to black, brown, indigenous, poor, or female people, that confidence was and is not there. It's amazing that after 200 years, that confidence still is not there. And I know we all find it easiest to trust people who are just like us. We do. You have an instant trust You watched the police officers when the Michigan militia came to the courthouse there and were yelling in their faces. The police at that point were not afraid because those people looked like most of them. We trust people who look like us and who seem like us. No matter who us is, it's easiest to trust the people who look like you and live a little bit like you. And our churches can be like that, where most churches say to the new minister, yes, we want to grow. We do. We just want to grow with people who are pretty much like the people who are already here. And the challenge for most people in our faith, and this is one of the challenges of our religion, this is our religion that's challenging us, is to Always expand, expand, expand the number of people you mean when you use the word us. That is our religion. That is it right there. We expand our sense of the word us. And we be strong and patient and curious and respectful to people who are different from us who come in. Now, I'm going to use a couple of examples And usually the minister talks to the dominant culture people who are here. So usually I'd be talking to the white people and I would say, now, you know, we who identify as white need to be open to being us with people who are different from us. But I'm going to do it a little differently this time because I'm tired of that. 
I'm tired of the white people being the ones that are talked to and centered in this discussion. And so I'm going to say that we LGBTQIA queer people need to be patient and think about being us with straight people who may not grasp what our lives are like. And I'm going to use the example of us who are people of color in a largely dominant white culture, expanding our sense of us to include people who identify as white, who may be so unconsciously caught up in the white supremacy culture and the dominant culture as to be just unaware of how it moves through them. And it makes them do things that, in retrospect, as soon as you know better, seem stupid. We all need all of us. And it takes patience, and it's draining sometimes to be us with people who are unconscious of certain things, truths about you. I imagine it's draining for veterans to come back from war and be around people who don't know anything about being in war. Imagine it's draining for medical people who fight in the corridors and the rooms of the hospital to come out again and be us with people who don't really know anything about the sights, sounds, and smells that they see. We all are trying to be us with people who are different from us, and it takes effort. There's a richness in being us with people who aren't exactly like us without the same experiences that we have. There's a richness in points of view, and there's a richness that makes us all smarter, and there's a richness that brings us challenging conversations and helps us learn things that we might not have learned. And that's one thing I think church is really good for because you sometimes come into contact with people who are unlike the people you would normally circulate with. And you have a chance to be open-hearted, respectful, smart, and curious about people that are not people you would normally meet. Here's the thing that breaks it all down for me. You know I'm going to have to have an argument with myself up here. How do I expand my sense of us to include the intolerant? Can I be us with people who stormed the Capitol? Can I think of them as anything other than them? How do I engage with respectful curiosity with somebody who's under the spell of disinformation, somebody who, which makes them afraid and fear makes you cruel and violent? And that's what we stand against. And when tolerant people tolerate intolerance, intolerance always wins. So we cannot. We have to stand against intolerance. We can't just be okay with it, whatever. No. So I'm stuck in a way. Because my sense of us is pretty broad. I try to make it global. All of us. But I'm stuck trying to be us with those people. But I don't have to be stuck in a battle position. That's bad for me. That's bad for democracy. 
I don't have to think of my opponents as my enemies. And when I respect the democratic process, either out there or in our church, I stand for what I believe. I'm open to changing my mind if I get different information. I stand against intolerance and hatred of all kinds, which I'm sure we'd never find here, with love in my heart. Not thinking dreamily about strangling somebody. But where do I get the patience and strength to do that? Where do I get that? I get it from a spiritual practice, which we've talked about. We talked about a spiritual practice of orienting yourself last week. We've talked about the spiritual practice of gratitude, and we'll keep talking about spiritual practices because the process of becoming us with people who are so different is tedious to listen to what they want, to listen to what they think, to what they fear, to understand them. How do I keep love in my heart? But I have to, my faith demands it. And when I'm around people, if I ever am again, um, when I'm around people who are spitting nails about Republicans or Libertarians or somebody else-ians, I have to say something like, I have to not talk like that. It's against my religion. Ugh. And I hope that my spiritual path, my spiritual self, will, when I, when I have strengthened it enough with gratitude and mindfulness and whatever else I do, I would say hiking, but, I, you know, you all hike. I'm in a wheelchair because my arthritis got worse over the pandemic. Um, but for some people, hiking is the thing. So when we've developed our spiritual selves through the things that we do to do that, um, and then we feel this up-surging of righteousness, always a red flag, this upsurging of righteousness where I just, I'm so sure that I'm right, I want you to hush and get out of my way. Or I'm so sure that I'm right that I just want to give it that extra little bulldoze push Push the buttons that I know to push to get you to be quiet and out of my way. That my spiritual self will tap me on the shoulder and go, Maggie, this is a red flag. Let's feel it come up. Maybe you should subside because you're about to behave badly. What I want to say is the democratic process is hard. And effortful, messy, and demanding. And may we have the strength and the perseverance to navigate it. And may we have what it takes to stay in the conversation without giving up. And the resilience to be wrong at times and get over it. Because sometimes we're going to be wrong. I'm just going to leave it there.
Join me as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish, extinguish the flame, but, but not, not the, the light, light of truth, truth the warmth of community, community, or the, the fire, fire of commitment. commitment. These we hold in our, in our hearts until we are together, together again. Please sing gently with me if you care to. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.